Welcome to The Day Shift, a podcast focusing on shifting the way we think and talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion in the medical field. I'm Dr. Quentin Humans, And I'm Dr. Brittani Parker. And we will be your hosts for today's episode. Today, we're excited to bring you an episode featuring Dr. Jasmine Smith. In this episode, we'll be discussing the hidden curriculum in medicine. It is my pleasure to introduce Dr. Jasmine Smith. She is a native of California and graduated from Stanford University before heading to Wake Forest University School of Medicine, where she completed her medical school education. She also obtained a master's in business administration from the same institution. She completed her residency in internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Arizona College of Medicine, where she served as chief resident in her last year in the pediatric program and was honored with the distinction of internal medicine resident of the year. Dr. Smith currently practices academic medicine in Los Angeles and is a clinical assistant professor. She has held many roles in her career, including working as a medical director, co-director of recruitment of physicians in her local institution, and has been a strong advocate of early career physicians and students in medicine. She is known for her mentorship and continues to be asked to speak on topics such as business practice in hospital medicine, effective clinical teaching, as well as diversity and inclusion in the medical field. I can think of no one better to invite on the podcast to discuss medical education in the hidden curriculum. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here and just to have this time to speak with both of you. Um, So thank you so much for having me. Well, we're so excited to have you here and we're excited for our show tonight. Dr. Smith, first of all, We've been referring to our guests by their first names on our podcast. Is this okay? That's perfectly fine. Okay, thanks, Jasmine. We look forward to discussing this important topic with you. Before we get started, is there anything we missed in your introduction that you'd like to share with the audience? I think you guys you know, covered the highlights. Um, you know, I'm passionate about mentorship and passionate about seeing others succeed and um, I think it's really important uh, that any lessons that I've learned um, that I can pass those along to make things easier for those who are on a similar path that I was. Um, so I think that about sums it up. Thank you so much. And we really appreciate your insights. So let's transition to our next segment called A Step in Your Shoes. In this segment, we ask our guests to share something about their background that they would like our listeners to learn about. This could be anything from a type of food or drink, a song, a genre of music, a poem, etc. The goal is to not only get to know our guests on the show, but also to build cultural competency and humility. With that said, Jasmine, what would you like to share with us today? Well, something I I thought about um, was what, you know, what was a... event that inspired me to pursue medicine. Um, And as I was reflecting on that and reflecting on, um, you know, just the importance of understanding and um, the importance of just understanding the shoes that other people have walked through, I thought about how I was inspired um, to enter medicine after going to the Museum of Tolerance as a child. Um, And so the Museum of Tolerance is 
a museum in the Los Angeles area where you can go and understand better uh, some of the things that happened during the Holocaust. And one of the things that was pretty profound for me was that as you enter the museum, everyone uh, gets a card or a piece of paper that describes a person who lived during that time. And by the end of the tour, you learn what happened to that individual who was on your card or piece of paper. And so uh, in this museum tour, you know, you walk through, see the different exhibits, um, you go through a simulated uh, gas chamber um, and, you know, there's, you know, speakers and you just kind of get a sense of what that might've felt like. And, you know, I remember having a card um, that displayed the uh, name of a little girl who was about my age um, at the time. And I remember at the end of the tour learning that uh, sh she lost her life during the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. And I remember being there um, and thinking about how that girl didn't get to live her life. And, you know, and as I've reflected, as, I'm, as I've gotten older, you know, she didn't get to pursue all of the dreams that she had and, you know, maybe walk out um, some of the hopes and dreams that her family had for her and remembered thinking about, you know, how important it was to make my life mean something. Um, and I think that was one of the earliest influences for me on, you know, pursuing medicine and pursuing, you know, what I felt like it was a career that would allow me to leave an impact. Um, so it was that experience, that one-time experience in the Museum of Tolerance that was one of the major inspirations um, for me to enter the field of medicine. And I think, you know, reflecting back, thinking about, I don't know, just how a population could be targeted and um, and the things that, you know, the, you know, that group of people went through um, just for existing um, and, you know, understanding like, you know, how people might have felt hopeless and helpless. And I think sometimes, you know, you know, right now, especially we see reflections of that in our society and, you know, wanting to be in a position where, you know, you can advocate and, um, you know, make effective change is, is something um, that's always been important to me. And, you know, during these last couple of weeks, I've just had some time to reflect on, you know, things that have impacted me and just remembering that experience about, you know, seeing a, a group of people uh, being targeted um, for, for something that they were born with and wanting to make sure that I lived a life of purpose and advocacy as well. That's really powerful, Jasmine. And I, I don't think I've ever heard of an experience like that where a museum, you know, had such interactive activity where you actually were able to get a card with the person's name, walk through, learn about the experience, and then find out what has happened to them. Who else went with you? So it was part of a school trip. Um, and I... It was somewhere between, I want to say, maybe around third or fourth grade. Um, so I was pretty young. And so I even know some of my family members are like, why are you thinking so deep at that age? You know, and I was like, I don't know. You know, that's that ran through my head. But it was part of a school field trip. And it was something that was, you know, part of the curriculum that we did every year. And, you know, I don't rec recall a ton of 
you know, a ton of reflection that we had as a group afterwards, but I, I knew that it was something that I reflected on um, for a while after kind of walking through there, um, you know, just on my own or, you know, just kind of talking about it a little bit with my parents. Um, so it was, you know, definitely a, a profound moment. It's something I haven't ever forgotten. That's really powerful. I think um, it makes me think about, you know, one of the things in, in society, one of the issues is this, you know, this empathy gap that's really pervasive when it's a lot, it's really hard a lot of times for people to put themselves in other people's shoes. And I think this experience that you describe is is really powerful because it it forces you during this time to really think like and live and, and imagine living like someone else. Right. And I think oftentimes when we when we do that and when we have experiences like that, when we literally do like kind of think about walking in someone else's shoes, we can see how injustices and things like that that you're mentioning can really affect um, people emotionally, their psyches, and and then even in this little girl's life, her, her hopes and dreams. So thank you for sharing that. That's really powerful. Yeah. And I just think it's important, you know, especially right now, as we see a lot of people hurting to um, intentionally try to think about what it is to walk in someone else's shoes and mm -hmm. to, to try to at least empathize, even if you feel like you can't understand someone else's perspective. let's jump into our discussion. So Jasmine, we brought you here because we wanted to talk more about the hidden curriculum in medicine. And I was hoping that you could give our audience your definition of what that is. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so I think the hidden curriculum as a concept has been described um, even in other fields um, and even in the context of medicine. Um, I was referencing earlier to a position statement that came from the ACP specifically about the hidden curriculum that came out uh, a few years ago. Uh, but, you know, basically the hidden curriculum in medicine, um, I would say, refers to unwritten and unofficial rules, uh, behaviors, a knowledge base and expectations within the field that not everyone has access to. And I think it's clear that those who have gained that knowledge and expertise over the hidden curriculum, those who have mastered it, clearly seem to have an advantage over those who don't have experience with it or those who have, have not mastered it. Um, I think that you know much of the preclinical years in medical school, is it's really focused on knowledge retention. And so I remember medical school being described as you know, a water hose of knowledge. And so you drink up as much as you can and you hope that the pieces that you initially missed kind of haven't evaporated into the, you know, an environment when you go searching for them during that like, you know, two days that the hose was turned off so you could breathe after a test. Um, and I think this is something that most people are used to coming out of college or maybe not being that far removed from college. Um, really in those preclinical years, you're, you know, your focus is on reading and you study, you retain, you perform, and then you repeat that cycle over and over. And then when you transition into the clinical years, uh, you know, you're supposed to take that knowledge and apply it to a clinical setting. And I think, you know, there's a formal curriculum that talks about, you know, disease recognition and disease management, et cetera, et cetera. But there are a lot of things uh, that lead to success and 
um, lead to you making a positive impression during those years that aren't overtly shared. Um, and so, you know, I can think of, you know, that the first time I, I feel like I was, my eyes were opened to this hidden curriculum. Um, and it was during early in my, my clinical years in medical school. And I recall being on an internal medicine rotation and getting feedback from the attending. And I, I think maybe it was a couple weeks uh, into the rotation. And I remember the attending asking me just specifically, he said, you know, this all seems really new to you. Um, and he asked me if there was anyone in my family who had uh, been in, you know, had a career in medicine. And I said, no. And he said, yeah. He said, yeah, I can tell. And I'm like, what do you mean? You can tell. Um, he's oh. like, because every, every, right, everything seems very new to you. And I remember thinking to myself, I thought it was new for everyone, you know? And I was like, what do you mean mm -hmm. it's new? And then it causes you to reflect, right? And I'm like, you know, I like, I have the same pocket medicine book, you know, like I read about the patients, like, you know, I tried to build up my knowledge base just like everyone else, but what is it about me that stood out? What was I not doing? And how were my interactions different? And it really caused me to take a step back and do more observation just to try to glean a better understanding of what was it that I was missing that made me stand out as someone who, you know, was missing a part of what it meant to be successful as a medical student and successful as a physician. Um, and so I really, at that point, you know, I don't know if it was, you know, being paranoid or just feeling like I was behind, just, you know, I was like, let me be observant and try to understand what I'm missing. Um, because there are clearly people who aren't standing out in this way that seem to have some experience who don't have this air of newness that I do, even though I thought we all, you know, were on the same playing field. Like, I was like, I don't think any of us have done this before, but okay, maybe there's something that I missed along the way. Yeah, thank you for sharing your experience. Um, and I appreciate that you brought up the position paper from the ACP. You know, I, I read that too. It was published in February of 2018. And they discussed, I think it was it was put together by the ACP Ethics, Professionalism, and Human mm -hmm. Rights Committee. And they talked about exactly what you said, that the hidden curriculum must become a positive curriculum that aligns with the formal curriculum. And, you know, in that uh, position paper, they talked about how, you know, the learning environment needs to foster respect, honesty, and empower every individual. Right. And what you're describing as you know, what you experienced when someone um, is maybe making you think, you know, that you, you know, don't understand what's going on or, you know, don't belong in that environment. Um, that's very challenging. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think, you know, one aspect of that hidden curriculum is this, I think, overarching air of you being expected to present yourself um, somewhat of, of an expert over material that you truly are a novice with, right? And I think sometimes you can feel like, you know, am I being dishonest? Am I pretending? Like, I don't really know what's going on yet. Like, I, you know, I just read about this two nights ago and I have a, you know, I'm a medical student, I have a patient with it, or I'm a, you know, maybe I'm a sub-I or I'm an intern and like, I don't, I never saw this in medical school, but I'm supposed to, you know, speak with assertiveness as if I have some kind of expertise over this material. And I don't know if I really do. And I, and, you know, I don't know if I feel comfortable in that realm. And, um, you know, 
I remember, you know, with observation, I can think of a couple of other instances during med school. I remember being a, a medical student on a, a cardiology rotation um, and the medical student, the third year medical students were all responsible for reading the EKGs at the beginning of rounds every single day. Um, and it was something that people were very nervous about, um, had a lot of anxiety over. You could see people sweating like before rounds started because they're like, Is it, am I going to get called on first? It's <laughs> um, the thing that you know, we all go through. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Is that is that T-wave peaked or is it a biphasic P-wave? I don't know. What does that even mean? Um, but, you know, I remember watching, um, you know, watching some of my classmates. I remember them reading the EKGs and I'm like looking at them. I'm like, I don't think that's what that says. But the way that they read the EKG was with, you know, a lot of just assertiveness. It, it was like, I see this, 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 and this. And I was like, huh, that's so interesting because I didn't see, I saw this, this, and this, right? And I think initially when I would, you know, read my EKGs, I didn't have that same degree of assertiveness, but I watched the feedback that they received. And I caught on very quickly that even if you're not certain, you speak with assertiveness um, and you speak in a manner where you're like, you know, this is, you know, what I'm trying to communicate and I'm not going to communicate, you know, this with a question mark at the end of my sentence, but with a period. And I started doing that. And I clearly remember one day when I was reading an EKG and I wasn't sure about a few things, but I was like, let me go with you know, what I see, what I know. And I'm just going to speak with assertiveness. And I clearly remember the attending saying, great job, and then proceeded to tell me how I was wrong. And I it just like, you know, as I reflected on it later, I was like, I was wrong. But he told me I had, you know, great job. And from there, there on, there was a lot of positive feedback. And, you know, you know, over time, like you, you build your knowledge base and you have, you know, truly have more confidence in, in what you're reading. But, you know, I didn't realize that you're supposed to display a degree of confidence from the beginning. Um, and it can be a fine line at times, but that, you know, that's a lesson learned, right? You know, I think medicine is a very, um, you know, oftentimes the environment um, is unpredictable, right? You know, we, we tend to round around the same time, but, you know, things happen with patients that sometimes we didn't anticipate or, you know, patients show up uh, that require attention right away. And so oftentimes it's an environment where you need to say what you need to say um, and leave out the fluff um, and be precise with your words. And that's something that I saw as I was watching some of my classmates who already seemed to have, you know, had that information and knew that that's how we were supposed to approach each rotation. Um, and I was like, well, when did they learn that? You know, like no one told me. <laughs> uh, uh, same thing when I was on a, a OBGYN rotation. Um, at this point, I had had a couple of rotations under my belt and I would always take the first couple of days just to observe and just to kind of see like, okay, what things seem to not go over so well with the residents and what se things seem to go over well with the residents or the attendings um, in the context of being a med student. And I remember we had a lecture um, and a couple of days later, one of my classmates asked, um, I believe it was one of the residents about something that was covered in the lecture. And the response to the medical student was, didn't you just have a lecture about this? Why didn't you ask your question during that lecture? Because when we see something and you don't have a question, we expect you to know it. And so I was like, oh, noted. So you ask your <laughs> questions during lecture. 
And there's a way that you ask follow-up questions, right? And so my thing was, I'm not just going to ask a question. I'm going to research first and say, hey, I noticed that this guideline said to manage patients in this way, but this guideline says to manage patients in this way. Can you help me reconcile that? Or, you know, what made you, you know, choose this path instead of this path? Because that's perceived as a very different question. And that's not medical student who doesn't want to look something up. That's medical student who looks something up. It is asking for clarification. And I saw how those, the way that you phrase a question went over well, even though we, you know, me and my classmate were asking the same thing. Um, so there's that. You know, I think um, this makes me think a lot about the importance of, as you mentioned, confidence um, throughout mm-hmm. medical school. And I think it can be hard to start, particularly the third and fourth years when you're actually seeing patients and expected to present and things like that, to start that process with confidence. Um, and I think that, you know, what your attending shared with you, you know, I think a lot of times when we get constructive feedback, it's helpful because we can act on it and it's very specific. But what your what your attending initially shared with you about this seems new for you. Um, did you mm-hmm. have any physicians in your family? That wasn't even really feedback or an evaluation. That was kind of just a judgment, like a value judgment on you. And I wonder, mm-hmm. I, I would imagine, like, what impact did that have on your confidence? And then how were you able to make that complete switch where, you know, if it did affect your confidence in a, in a bad way, but the hidden curriculum is teaching you that you must be very confident, like how, how would you recommend for students to make that switch when they hear something like that? No, I, I think that's fair. And I think my, I was taken aback when I, I got that feedback and, you know, it, you know, it made me, you know, reflect on myself and say, you know, again, what was I doing wrong? Um, and then what I had to realize was that, okay, you know, clearly there are others in, in my medical school class who may have had experience or may have been given some additional tidbits um, that maybe I wasn't privy to or um, maybe, pre- you know, present themselves present themselves in a manner that I wasn't privy to. And so for me, the switch, the switch was more that, you know, I had already made up in my mind before being on this rotation, before entering med school, that I, I wasn't going to let what someone else said um, about me negate what I already knew about myself. So I think the first mm-hmm. first step is always to be clear about who you are. So you coming mm-hmm. in there, you know you're a hard worker, right? You know there's a reason that you're there. You know that you know you know how to retain information. You know how to take feedback. You know you know how to make an adjustment when needed. So I think the first step was to you know reconcile myself and to reconfirm with myself that there's nothing wrong with me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think sometimes when you get feedback like that, it's like something is inherently wrong with you that suggests that maybe you don't belong here. And I said, no, there's nothing wrong with me. There's just information that I haven't been given access to for whatever reason. And maybe that's because I, you know, I didn't come from a legacy or maybe, you know, people knew who to talk to, um, you know, before coming on this rotation. And maybe I, I wasn't talking to those same individuals. And so again, the first shift was recognizing within myself that there was nothing wrong with me, but then I had to take the next step and say, okay, where else can I get this information? And so one thing um, that I made it a point to do from that point forward is to find everyone that I could who had been through those rotations and just pick their brain and said, okay, I know the things that I need to read for the knowledge, but tell me the things 
that you wish you knew before you were on this rotation that would have made you more successful? Or tell me the thing mm-hmm. that you wish you never you know, would have done. Or what was the mistake that you make that you keep thinking about? And I'll be honest, some people were forthcoming and some people weren't, right? But mm-hmm. for me, that didn't stop me because I was like, you know what? Like, there's something that, there's some things that I, I don't know. Um, and, you know, this is my first time being in this environment where there's a hierarchy in medicine. And I, I think there's been a lot of work to say, let's, you know, let's remove that hierarchy, but it still exists because there's an attending who has more experience than you, a resident that has more experience with you, um, you know, a upper level medical student that has more experience than you. And so they're going to know more than you. Right. And so I was like, who, you know, let me identify uh, people who can serve as, you know, on the go mentors, for lack of a better term, to help me under understand what I might be missing, because there's something hidden that I I'm not seeing, and I I want to do whatever I can to make sure I have access to that. So again, the the initial shift is is in acknowledging that there's nothing wrong with you, and then moving to say where can I identify resources to give me access to this curriculum uh, that I seem to be missing. I really, I really like that. And you talked about how you reached out um, yes. to get advice from other people. You know, I am just reminded of, um, you know, some some different issues in medicine. For instance, women who are surgeons, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, oftentimes, you know, they come into residency and maybe you know don't have or don't know to ask others. You know, what's the experience been? Because you know, some right. things that I have heard is that, you know, they, you know, assert themselves and for their male colleagues, it may be seen as assertion, but for them, it's seen as aggression, right? you know, or, uh, you know, we teach wellness to our students and our residents, but then, you know, that senior resident brags about how they just did a 36 hour shift. And so it's kind of conflicting messages. So what would you say to educators or people who, are interested in being mentors on how they can address this upfront and teach um, trainees how to navigate these difficult issues? So I, I'd say the first thing is one, admit that it exists, right? And so there are in a lot of medical school curriculums, um, there are, you know, these couple of weeks where it's kind of like, you know, it's boot camp for going into the preclinical years. And so let's make sure, let's remind you that you know how to present a patient. Let's remind you that you know how to write a note. Let's let's kind of run through like the process of making a differential diagnosis. Um, but I think we also need to admit that there's some um, elements outside of those specific lectures that are, are focusing really on kind of clinical knowledge and, and maybe some degree of presentations um, that you're missing in that bootcamp. So admit that some of that information is missing, first of all. Um, and I think also acknowledge that those who have privy to that information will have an advantage. Um, and I, I, the other thing I want to pause and say is that some mentors themselves, I don't think feel like they have access to the hidden curriculum themselves, right? Mm. And so I think there's some mentors who might reflect and say, oh, you know what? I didn't know any of these things. And maybe they, maybe they learned, maybe, you know, they found their, navigated their way through and then maybe, you know, on the other side of their training, now they're, you know, hearing their colleagues talk about, you know, maybe a medical student that they're working with and how they're going to evaluate them and say, oh my goodness, that's probably how people were talking about me because I didn't know to do that or I didn't know not to do that, et cetera, et cetera. And so, 
Um, so acknowledge that there's an advantage and acknowledge, you know, whether or not you feel like you, you know what that hidden curriculum is. Um, and, I, and I think um, educators and mentors, uh, you know, maybe should take some time to collaborate and reflect on those items that they felt like were missing uh, from the former curriculum and put them in an accessible form because I think access is uh, is something that's missing. And so whether, you know, a lot of people like to formalize things into a lecture, but it doesn't have to be a lecture. It, it could be a discussion. It could be um, some, you know, a document that's posted somewhere. Um, but, you know, giving people access through, you know, directing them to someone else who might be able to articulate those things or just even, you know, one-on-one -on -one reflecting on the, the items they wish they were aware of before they entered into those clinical years. Um, and I think also as a mentor and educator, advocacy, right? So knowing that not everyone has access to this curriculum, when you hear someone, a student or a resident, being evaluated on a parameter that that person didn't even know existed, advocating for that person, let's say you are the mentor and saying, hey, maybe you should be upfront with that expectation that you have for that medical student or resident before you evaluate them on that parameter, right? Um, and so if, you know, sometimes, you know, I can recall being a chief resident and it was like the first week of the academic year. And I remember I got an email from an attending physician who said, oh, you know, I have, it was this intern's first night on call, like ever in life. Right. And I'm, <laughs> I'm just like, what, what possibly it's like their first night on call ever. Like this is their first time being up all those hours, you know, I'm like, goodness gracious. And so this, uh, you know, faculty members sent an email saying, you know, I have concerns about this intern's performance. It took them too long to finish all of their documentation and I had to wait for them. And I was like, it's their first night on call ever. Like, what? Mm -hmm. I was like, I think it probably took everyone a little bit longer than what they, you know, would do now. Cause you're, you know, you know how to write a note, but like, it's your first night being, you know, a doctor. <laughs> um, and so I remember saying, well, why don't you share with that person, you know, that it's, you know, your expectation for when the documentation needs to be completed and also recognize that it was the first time that they've ever had to do this task and ever be in this role uh, and ever, you know, you know, ever had to push some of their, you know, physical limits in this manner before in their life and provide that feedback to them directly. Um, because I think sometimes there's a lot of like talking around the issue and sometimes people don't receive that feedback. And again, I, I think holding colleagues accountable to say, make sure, again, like I was saying before, if you're going to uh, evaluate someone on a parameter that's not you know, overtly evident, then you need to make sure that they're aware of that. Um, so that's you know, something I would say you know, in terms of mentors, things that they can do to uh, help make this information accessible and help advocate for their mentees who, may not be aware of all of these things. I think that's so important. And, you know, I think when thinking about kind of operationalizing that, um, in academic medicine, when we think about attendings and, and residents, we, you know, a lot of us have these evaluation forms that we use. 
And we have um, a lot of times meetings and things like that where we discuss, this is where we're gonna be evaluating students. This is how we expect. And, and honestly, to your point, I think the hidden curriculum should be a discussion when we're orienting our, our attendings and our residents um, to what they're going to be doing for evaluations, because it all plays into each other, too. Um, even thinking back to the confidence, you know, as you're going through your third year rotations, if you ha put a couple of rotations together in your in your evaluations, are not taking into account this hidden curriculum and they're and they're you know you're getting a couple passes that can play a huge role in how you perform the rest of the year um and so i think it's, it's such an important point teaching teaching about the hidden curriculum but then also training those evaluators and those attending physicians who are going to be doing those evaluations to actually address the hidden curriculum yeah you know i agree with what you're saying and i think it is important to operationalize that and um you know I think, you know, everyone wants to say like, you know, we do evaluation so that we can make sure that you, as much as we can remove subjectivity and make uh, the evaluation system as equitable as possible. And we, we put it in an online form or a paper form and it's a standardized question. Um, but if we're honest, there is always gonna be a level of subjectivity to that, right? And so um, if you are an evaluator and, and I think also someone being evaluated then be, you know, set some time to say, you know, I, when I was a medical student, another thing that I started doing was asking, you know, the resident I was working with, or, you know, if a resident working with an attending asking, hey, you know, I want to be successful and learn all I can um, during this experience. Uh, tell me things, uh, you know, any advice that you have for helping me to be successful during this rotation. And are there things that other people in my position have done uh, that uh, haven't gone well or that you wish they wouldn't have done or hadn't, you know, had not let to, led to good interactions with the patient or with the team. Um, just kind of what are, what are the do's and don'ts? Um, and one thing that I, I taught, I tell students or residents or mentees to do is, is, you know, one thing that you can do, cause you're like, well, how do I know what I don't know? Right. Um, you know, asking upfront for expectations from you know each of those individuals who are going to be evaluating you because you may get the standardized form that says oh you know there's six domains clinical knowledge mm -hmm. professionalism like did you show up on time um, like uh, you know you know did you make you know did you make the child cry like whatever you know I'm just making things up but um, <laughs> just you know asking what their specific expectations are um, mm -hmm. upfront. And, you know, write that down and just say, okay, like, here's the, here are the domains that I was given on the evaluation form, but this person who's evaluating me, these are the things that they said they expected of me. Um, and so, and you also, re having had that information, then you have to do your part, right? And so when it comes to the end of the evaluation period, you're like, well, I didn't know I was supposed to do that. Well, you know, the evaluator says, well, you asked me what the expectations were and these, you know, I'm going to hold you to that. Um, so as a, as a, a trainee, like asking for those expectations, um, asking for feedback. So that's something else that I, I think I put even into better practice when I was in residency. Uh, so I, I would intentionally, so the, you know, people in my residency, we had these like feedback Fridays that sometimes people did, sometimes they didn't, you know, but I like, I had my own feedback schedule, right? And so I, as you know, once or twice a week, I would just check in with the people who are evaluating me and say, hey, 
how how do you think I'm doing? What what's something I can do to improve? I, I you know I really want to you know take good care of these patients. I really want to contribute to the team. Um, and you know you, you have to uh, you know I think like asking every single day may get a little bit cumbersome. Um, yeah. But asking one to two times a, a week, I, I think most people would be receptive of that. Um, and I would even, you know, sometimes, you know, I would even send an email back and say, oh, you know, again, thank you so much for that feedback here. You know, I really appreciated you sharing these points with me. And I, you know, I will, I'm going to put those into practice immediately. So one, that's a reminder for me. But two, when it comes to the end of the evaluation period, and if someone tries to say, you didn't meet my expectations, you have a written record that says, actually, you just said that I did. Um, mm -hmm. So asking for feedback, um, you know, listening intently, observing intently, um, being, being tactful, um, and again, tapping into resources of people who have been through that experience before you. Um, another thing that, you know, I try to put in practice is to always try to model my, myself after the person who was one step ahead of me in training. So if I was a third year medical student, look at what the fourth year medical student was doing. If I was a fourth year, look at what the intern was doing and so on and so forth. Um, and that often was helpful because, you know, I was like, well, how are they operating and how are they acting? And I was like, if I could model myself as that person, then I, I should be, you know, doing more than what was expected for me at my level. I think you've given us so much great advice, <laughs> us and and the, our <laughs> listeners who who uh, who are either looking forward to going into medicine or who are training now. Um, you know, some of the highlights of what I hear you saying about the hidden curriculum is one to really acknowledge that it exists, um, right. two and to be observant. You know, as a learner or uh, you know. A, a medical student resident um, and to be proactive. So I really liked your suggestion about creating your own feedback schedule, asking for expectations up front um, so that you know what's required of you. And then thirdly, advocacy. I think you've talked a lot about um, you know, really, you know, the importance of being objective when giving feedback. Um, and um, that may be something that we all you know, need to think about to make sure that, you know, we are evaluating our trainees um, based on where they should be, but also keep in mind, you know, if there's something that they seem deficient in, do they have the resources and the tools um, to know, first of all, that do they know it's an expectation and do they have the resources and tools to meet that expectation? Exactly. Is there anything else that, um, about the hidden curriculum that we haven't covered that you'd like to leave our audience with? Um, I do. You know, I, as I was reflecting on this topic, you know, I think there's a hidden curriculum that, again, has been described in the literature, you know, that talks about, you know, whether it's, you know, speaking with confidence or kind of the nuts and bolts of interacting, uh, you know, with, you know, attendings and residents, you know, and understanding the hierarchy of medicine um, or, you know, just how to interact with, you know, ancillary staff members, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that is something that I think everyone in the medical field, uh, you know, learns or is uh, clued in on. But I think there's even an additional hidden curriculum that uh, trainees who 
uh, don't look the way that some people feel like the physicians should look, um, have to be aware of as well, right? And so in, in that realm, I think about, okay, there's an additional curricula about how to respond to others. And that could be patients, or that could be people evaluating you, um, or that could be your peers, how to respond to people who believe that you don't fit the profile of a physician. You don't look the part of a physician um, or someone who feels like you don't belong in a certain space, right? And so how do you navigate that? So you have this other curriculum, you're supposed to be confident, you know, you're, you know, you know, you're supposed to, confident and respectful. You're, you know, you're supposed to, you know, be an expertise, but you're an expert, but you're also a novice, right? And then additionally, how do you deal with, you know, those challenges when it's laced with, you know, someone who doesn't feel like you belong in that space or doesn't expect you to be in that space and some of their commentary and, or the way they interact with you uh, may pr produce some added challenges. Uh, and so I think that's also something that needs to be acknowledged and admitted, right? And I think that takes a, a I think even larger degree of advocacy to say, you know, are you evaluating that person? Like, can we really think about the concrete examples that you have of why, why you're giving that person uh, that that's evaluation? Um, I, you know, I feel like, you know, I was observing with you and I feel like they were on par, if not better than some of their colleagues, right? Um, and I think about another experience that I had when I was on a surgery rotation and, um, it was myself and uh, two of my male colleagues in, in um, medical school, and the surgery attending was asking us uh, about about uh, antibiotics and was asking us about the D test um, related to some of the inducible resistance that develops in clindamycin, right? And so he was asking us these specific questions, and like I, you know, I read like as often as I could in medical school. So I was like, I don't, I feel like I don't know anything. I'm going to read, 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 read. Um, and, and so when he asked that question, I was like, oh my gosh, I read this two days ago. I know what this is. Like, I got, I got this question. I was so excited. I was like, I got this. And I was like, no, I know exactly what this is. I don't even need to reference my notes. Like, I got this down. And so I was like, you know, spouting out all the answers. I was like, this, 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 and this. This is why it happens, et cetera, et cetera. And I like I was so proud of myself, right? And and the attending's response wasn't great job, you knew the answer. The attending's response was to turn to my colleagues and say, Why does she know that and you don't? Mm. And I was so I was like, wait, what? Like, mm -hmm. how he said, How come she knows that and you don't? And I didn't feel like it was a it felt like it was a very specific comment. Why does she know that? And you don't know it, and I and I wanted to like be like because I read it like two days ago, right? But <laughs> it wasn't. Oh yes, you know your stuff. It's you know she shouldn't know how that answer without you guys, right? And and I was just like, and it, wow. it really it was experience that really struck me, and I was and it bothered me, right? Because I was like, you know, I'm on top of my stuff. Like I, you know, I'll never know everything there is to know in medicine. Uh, but I, I, you know, really try to continue to build my knowledge base because we're lifelong learners. And it was a moment where I was just like, you know what, there still will be times. And even if you are on your game, um, that that's not something that's celebrated. Um, 
but somehow that's twisted into there's something wrong with our system if you are excelling and these other other people that I think should be excelling are not. And that's, you know, that's how I received that comment. And so, you know, how do you respond to that? Right. And um, a like, again, the acknowledgement that, you know, those experience experiences uh, will continue to happen, um, you know, especially if people still hold the opinion that there's a certain look to what, a, you know, a physician looks like um, or what, you know, the profile of someone in this specific specialty should look like. Right. And that doesn't mean like you as, you know, the trainee, you don't shrink back. Right. You don't shrink back. You still you know your stuff. You know what you're doing. You know, you're continuing to build, build your knowledge base in it. And again, like back to what I was referencing before, don't let the comments of others, you know, cause you to question who you are and, and what you know. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, your stories, um, I know that a lot of our listeners will be able to relate to that. And, you know, I think it's just so important um, for all of us to really be vulnerable and to be honest about the kind of situations we've been and even if I mean it's painful I mean you said that you know this really bothered you and it probably still bothers you today mm-hmm. um, but I think just sharing is so important so that other people can know okay I just experienced this but I'm not alone and I know that I you know I have the strength um, and the knowledge to keep moving forward and uh, especially in medicine which um, is very challenging I mean not only in training um, as a as a practitioner there are things that happen um, that are just tough uh, and you know we really do have to have resiliency and that faith in ourselves. Definitely. And, you know, something my father taught me was, you know, to find ways to flip the situation, you know? And so in in that experience, yeah, you know, in the moment, you know, it was hurtful, but I use that to say, okay, when it's time for my evaluation, I'm going to remind this attending. I was like, Hey, remember when you noted that my knowledge base uh, was it seemed to be better than my colleagues? Uh, you know, you know. Let's use that in my evaluation, right? Like when you're talking about my, you know, you can't tell someone what's right in the evaluation, but just remind them, like, you know, oh, I, you know, I really appreciated when you pointed out, you know, that I was able to, you know, answer your questions and, you know, had that had that knowledge base and had that depth of knowledge to, you know, understand the questions that you were asking me. Um, and it's, you know, it really showed me the importance of continuing to read and build my knowledge base, right? And like find a way to flip it for the positive. And like, no, is everything going to work out perfectly all the time? Probably not, but flip it, right? Because even if someone tried to, to turn that situation to a negative, you have the, the power and the words to flip it back to a positive. Okay, thank you so much for this discussion. Um, I think that you've given us a lot of practical points about what the curriculum, the hidden curriculum is and how uh, to navigate it a little bit better. Um, So we appreciate your time. We'd like to ask our audience to continue this discussion online. We'd love to hear your stories to do with this topic, your questions and the specific barriers, challenges you faced. We will have additional resources, including a transcript and summary on our website at thedayshift.com. We will also add a link to the ACP article on the hidden curriculum. Feel free to contact us at thedayshift.com or follow us on social media, including Twitter and Instagram 
at the day shift. You can also email us at thedayshift at gmail.com. Thank you so much, Jasmine, for joining us and uh, talking with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to have you all with us today. Tune in for future episodes. The Day Shift podcast and its guests provide general information and entertainment, but not medical advice. Before making any changes to your medical treatment or execution of your treatment plan, please consult with your doctor or personal medical team. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by the day shift. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the podcast does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by the day shift team are those of each individual and do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of the day shift team and its guests, employers, sponsors, or organizations we are affiliated with. Season one of the day shift podcast is proudly sponsored by the American Medical Association's Joan F. Giambalvo Fund for the Advancement of Women and the American College of Physicians, Southern California, Region 3 chapter. Our theme music is brought to you by Chris Dingman. Learn more at www.christingman.com.